Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. How you doing? Good. Well, you're in church. You should be doing good. We've titled today's message, Stop the Rumble, Get Humble. And it's because in this portion of James, he really addresses those issues. Um, I know, listen, you know this, I know this, but I'm one of those people that just loves to talk about my weight. And I'm in a constant battle of either winning or losing shame or joy. And typically, it's the beginning. It's shame. But I just love food. It's just a part of me, and it'll always be a part of every message that I teach every week. Carly, my wife, is here today. Glad to have you home. She's out of quarantine. She was back in Michigan. And um, while she was gone, I didn't eat as much. You know, eating has a social element to it. So you just kind of find a piece of bread, put something in there, fold it, and you're good. And I was getting pretty great, but she showed back up home, and it's like some type of celebration. And how do you celebrate? Well, we eat. So I was (laughs) getting stuff from the grocery store, and I was on my way home. Imagine that. I had some ice cream, some contraband. And as I was pulling down our residential area, I noticed this baby slash toddler walking along the sidewalk. And I thought for a minute, I've never noticed any vagrant toddlers in our neighborhood. No vagrant babies walking around here, strange kids. And so as I got closer, I was thinking, who let this kid run around? And then finally I see his mother come around the corner. But I'd been suspicious because my son had had his skateboard stolen from his pickup the week before. And I wondered, maybe it's this toddler. Who knows what kids are doing these days? So uh, I saw his mother, and I was kind of relieved, you know. And then all of a sudden, I I recognized her face, and she had a stroller. And immediately, I was pulled back a week when I saw a little baby, suspicious toddler, a mother with a bassinet pushing it along. And I recognized them, and I thought, that's them. They're a gang. They're casing my house. I knew it. And you say, well, David, that's terrible. How could you think that about a little baby? How could you think that about a mother? Well, let me just tell you something. Babies can be selfish. And you say, wait a minute. They're so great. They're so wonderful. They're so sweet. They're so nice. They're so innocent. They're so truthful. Listen, if you're able to say that with a straight face, it's because you don't have kids. Or you never went to grade school. But if you've noticed, little babies come out the center of the universe, don't they? They have no self-control. All they know how to do is scream. Uh, Where do they go to the bathroom? In their clothes. Okay, that's not considerate. That's not sweet. That's not cute. Nobody ever looks at it and goes, oh, how cute. Take a picture and send it to grandma. Now, they, my friends, are 
the type of people that you don't always want around. They're totally selfish. What's one of the first words they learn? Okay, they learn maybe mom or dad, but what's one of the first ones they learn? Mine, mine. Like anybody teaches them that. There's no like, they didn't notice mom and dad saying, mine, mine, mine. Nobody says that, but they know it. It's right in the motherboard. Listen, they are born knowing how to punch. Do you ever notice that about babies? It's not like because they're watching mom and dad and they learned how to do this. <laughs> they got it, they've got it down, okay? And if you ever seen them eat, what a mess. An absolute mess. They're a disaster. But they are the center of their universe. And we have, as parents have time to train them to get that out of them so that they become functioning human beings within society, right? Because it doesn't come naturally. It's something that is learned. And so what we're going to talk about today and what we're going to find out, what is the source, okay, of our discord, What's the source of it? Where does it come from? Why do we fight each other? And then we're going to talk about the problem of mixed loyalties. Loyalties that are mixed between um, loving the world and doing things the world's way and being a friend of God. One, he says, is friendship. The other says is disloyalty and even being an enemy. And then finally, as we wrap things up, we're going to find that Humility, what I call getting low, is the solution, okay? It's the one solution, getting low and staying low and being blessed by God. Okay, let's get started. Let's say our affirmation. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I welcome all he has for me today. By his word, he guides me. By his spirit, he strengthens me. By his will, he's transforming me. I am his workmanship, his unique work of art. May his will be done in me today, and I receive it by faith. Hold it in Jesus' name. All right. Amen. Fantastic. Glad you folks are here. If you're visiting with us, so good to have you. All right. Let's answer the question, why do we rumble? Look at verse one of James chapter one. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. We understand from this passage and other places that most fights, most quarrels happen because our personal desire comes in conflict with someone else's personal desires, wants, or belief, right? There's a conflict there because I want, you want. Mine, mine, right? My friend, this is classic selfish 
baby syndrome. Therefore, there I said it, I've coined it, selfish baby syndrome. You can notice that in yourself or in other people, but it's selfish baby syndrome. We harm others. He even mentions the most extreme. We even kill or murder for our own personal desires. And it's true, isn't it? From property theft to any other type of crime, there's an element of taking what someone else has, coveting what they have, and taking it to yourself. And some are even willing to kill in doing so. That's, a, that's true. But you, you never find someone murdering someone because they're thinking about the other person. Uh, so tell me, sir, why did you shoot this person? Well, I knew them really well, and I figured I was doing them a favor. Yeah. I was just helping them out, and I'm sure was helping out the other people around them. It was for the best. I was, th- I was only thinking of them. That's never a defense. If it is, it's a terrible defense because it's a selfish act. It's not a selfless act, right? Some of the worst fights, though, are not killings and, and the such. Some of the worst fights in a family or with friends or people that we know, coworkers, really are our desire to be right. And some of the biggest fights that we have are absolutely worthless arguments. You ever notice that? Some of the biggest, most upset fights where you get your head shaking and oh yeah, and your hand starts moving. Maybe yours doesn't, but that's me. And it's over the dumbest things. Like you'll hear someone yell out through the house, who left the toilet seat up? Who did? We're going to start an investigation. Or even worse, there's a controversy been running in my house for 30 years. And the only way we've found to really mitigate this and solve the problem is to have two bathrooms. But you know what I'm talking about. There is a right way to put the toilet paper on the roll, right? Over the top so that you can grab it. And then there's the other way where it goes down the backside. And some of the biggest arguments that we've ever had have had to do with that, which is absolutely ridiculous. Or even this further, more bathroom stories. You're like, is he going to keep talking about the bathrooms? Yeah, I am. Leaving it, who left the towels on the floor in the bathroom? He must spend a lot of time out in the bathroom. Well, let me just tell you, the older you get, you spend a little, little bit more time, actually a lot more time in there. But it's the simplest crazy things that can cause our own desires to light up and to fight. All right? Now, not only does this affect our relationships, but it affects our relationship with God. It can affect our prayer life. Look at verse 2. You desire to have, oh, let's skip down to the, the last half of it. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend it what you get on your pleasures. Asking God with the wrong motives is not the wisest thing to do. Number one, God knows everything. He knows what you're asking for. He knows if it will help you or not. He knows if it'll be good for you or not. He knows what the motives you have, okay? And, and it's like, you know, you ask for some of these crazy things 
that you want to spend on your own pleasures. And it, to me, I was, if I was God, I would be thinking stuff like, I'm not going to answer that. That's a terrible prayer. What? You prayed that? Don't people even know who I am, right? I would never, never give them that answer. Here's an example. <clears throat> uh, Mr. God, I know you're kind of busy running the world, but uh, I need a new, new car. Why do you need a new car? Well, the other one I have, it's pretty new, but I don't like the color. I'd look different in the showroom, but I've got a date on Friday night, and I just don't like this color. Do you think you could work that out for me? No. Right? Or how about God? You know, the family, we've gotten together, and we just, you know, that we, we go to church all the time, and we, we really like you, but we thought we would ask you for the biggest flat screen TV in the whole neighborhood. That's really what we want, God. That would be the best, God. Like, God's going to answer that, right? But we forget, when we have the selfish baby syndrome, we are at the center of our universe. Listen, you may ask, how come? God isn't answering my prayers. Well, you know why? Because there's some pretty dumb prayers. And you say, wait, there are no wrong prayers. Yes, there are wrong prayers. We're very capable of it. That's what the scripture is saying right here. He says, listen, it's one thing to ask God for transportation. God in order for me to get to work, I need some transportation. I need your help. God loves to help his children. God loves to help us with what we need, okay? I need to get around. I need to, to make errands in town, okay? God, it's a good thing to pray to God for what you need. But selfish desires are just that. They're selfish. And it is the baby syndrome all over again. It's immaturity, okay? And God will not bless that. Why? Because God isn't interested in raising spoiled kids. God isn't interested in raising spoiled kids. By the way, the term spoiled kid is a very tough and very exact term. I mean, when you think of spoiled, it's like, you know, how I lost weight while Carly's out of town. She wasn't there for me to, to smell whether this is good or not. She hates smelling, you know, like, is this good, honey? You know, she's like, oh, God, I don't want to smell that. But she's not here, so I, I don't know. So all I had was the dogs. And I'm like, uh, can you smell that? And they're like, oh, yeah, that smells good. You should eat it. I didn't know I was on a weight loss program. Last time I asked those dogs, by the way. But things that are spoiled are bad. They've gone bad. And so you take a child and you say, okay, you're rotten. And, and if somehow you've managed to train your child to be self-centered and to fight with everybody and to cry at the drop of a hat when they don't get their way, and the worst thing you could ever do is take your child to the restaurant, what a disaster. Do you think that is what God wants for us? Oh, he's so cute when he gets mad, throws his little tantrum. No. God is making it very clear here that 
He wants something different from us. You see, here's the point. Our selfish desires are in conflict with God's desire and God's will, period. Your selfish desires, my selfish desires are in conflict with God's desires and his will, period, period. And God's letting it be known. And we have a choice. Either we're going to be his friends or his enemies. And this is where it gets really straight, straight and narrow. <coughs> Verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity, literally hostility against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he's caused to dwell in us? You see, our selfish desires in this passage are played out not only personally in us, but now it expands to the whole world. It is on a worldwide scale. Therefore, he mentions the word world. Now, let's clarify. When he says world, he's not talking about the created world. He looked around, he made the world. It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. This creation is beautiful and good. It's not meant to be worshipped. It's meant to be lived in and to be uh, appreciated by us to God. Okay? But something happened. He made mankind. Men and women got together. They made a mistake. They rebelled against God. That rebellion, they got kicked out of the garden. The rebellion furthered and furthered and furthered. And all of a sudden, all these things that mankind knew nothing about are becoming a hallmark of who God is. The world that is spoken of here is not the physical world itself, but the manifestation and the current state that the world is in in its rebellion against God in producing, okay, it's a fallen world producing cruelty. The world can be a very cruel place. It's murderous. Very violent, destructive, greedy, bottom line. I don't care if it puts this other people out. It doesn't matter if they, they're knocked out. It doesn't matter. As long as I get mine, the world is suffering for a, from a destructive, selfish baby syndrome. And what, is, what does it produce? Violence. Every kind of evil imaginable. And that is what God's against. He's for humans. He sent his son to die for humans. He sent his son to be rescued, to rescue the humans. He loves them. But the practice that is so pushed by our world, apart from God, and even at times with God, is contrary to his nature. It's contrary to his nature. And guess what? According to scripture, he hates it. It's pretty heavy, isn't it? God hates it. That's why he says, friendship with the world means hostility against me. Because I don't like it. I hate it. I'm against it. 
I'm for the humans. I will try to rescue the humans and get them over to my side. But if you're on that side, bent on hurting human beings, bent on rebellion, destroying everything, let me just tell you, I hate it. I love that. God is clear here. There are things that God loves. There are things that he hates. And he always hates the right things. And the things that he hates are destructive against everyone and everything. John, one of the apostles, <clears throat> expresses this a little further over in 1 John chapter 2. He said, do not love the world, this world system, or anything in the world, the system that produces this. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not with him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. It's all selfish. We get the picture. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. You see the contrast? This must have been obvious in Jesus' teaching. It's obvious through the Old Testament. He said, don't, don't pretend that this program is any way in related to my program. God's completely different. Then he uses a couple of terms here. He uses the term adulterous, okay? And he's using it for those who are led by their own selfish desire away from God, okay? And then he uses the term for himself as being jealous. Jealous is to describe his spirit that he's put within us, okay? It's not a type of jealousy where you say, wow, I guess God's really insecure, so jealous, such a jealous God. No, that's not it. What he's saying is, I picked you out of the world. You came to me. I cleaned you up. I rescued you from this really violent, messed up thing. You're not a part of that. And so it means that you belong to me. And I've rescued you from all of this hatred and strife. And that means that I have a vested interest in you. That means that I care for you, that I'm involved in your life, and I'm jealous over you, and I don't want those other influences to harm you and to destroy your life. That's his jealousy. But he says, you're being adulterous. You're just going out and doing your own thing. Either you're going to be my friend and stand with me against, okay, what's going on, or you're going to be my enemy and stand against me. But it's your choice. But there's nothing in between, right? Married folks, you come home to your spouse, been married for quite a while, and you say, hey, honey, I just wanted you to know, I uh, thought it might be cool, so I've been out dating. Yeah, you know, a lot of different people out there. Just kind of find out what I'm missing, and uh, it's pretty interesting. What's your spouse's response? What? What? Are you kidding me? God looks at us and says, well, wait, didn't we make an agreement? Didn't we come together? Didn't you say I left all of that to be there? And then all of a sudden you're just back out doing your thing. Listen, I know it's tough. But that's why we've titled this series Reset. Because in James, we're being constantly brought back to, wow, I veered off the course. I've actually been friends with the world. I've been actually 
not as true to God as I should be. So what do we do? What's the solution, okay? How do we get back if we've lost our way? My answer is get low and get humble. Get low and get humble. It's time for us to get humble. Look at James chapter 4, verse 6. But, but is a contrasting conjunction that ties the two together and it will explains and gives us much greater information. It says, but, all that being said, he gives more grace. That's why scripture says, God is opposed to the proud but gives favor to the humble. Good news, my friend, that he says, you needed grace in the past, but there's no shortage on grace now. Remember, even in a pandemic, there's no shortage on grace. Yeah, I went to the church the other day. All the shelves of grace were empty. The stinking COVID. No. God's shelves are never empty when it comes to grace. It's been very simply said, and if you've never heard it, I think it's a good thing to memorize. Grace is important. It's a part of who God is. It's an attribute of his personality. But it's been said that mercy is not getting what you deserve because you deserve something worse. And grace is getting what you don't deserve in the positive. Mercy, you should have been punished, but yet you were given mercy. You didn't get what you deserve. But grace is you didn't do anything worthy of it, but it's given to you anyway. You see, that is the way God works. Grace is also, the word charis is always associated with beauty, something amazing, something that is awe-inspiring. It's like you see somebody who has really blown it, and then somebody comes along and gives them grace and helps pick them up, and they, they get their life back on track, and we all look back and stand back at that and say, that is beautiful. Isn't that amazing? It's a sight of beauty, and it belongs to God. You see, it's beautiful. It doesn't crush. It helps. However, there's a catch. Did you know there's a catch? There is a catch in Scripture. He says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. One is willing to get low before God and experience his grace. The other is too proud to receive it. I'll tell you a story of three dogs. As an adult, our family has owned four dogs. Two have died, but three stand out most notable. Our first was a wire hair fox terrier by the name of Oliver. He was... A fantastic dog, brilliant, but he's a terrier, so his, his temperament is, can start right here, nice petting, loving dog, and go to, I'm going to kill you in a matter of seconds. He had a predilection or a problem with getting into the trash. I don't care if we put the trash on the roof, put a padlock on it, um, he would hire someone to crack the safe or whatever. He just couldn't help it. And he had plenty of food. We took care of him. But he's like, I got to get some trash, man. 
this is not going it's not going to go well for me today man well so he sort of sounded like that more of a whimper well anyway when he would get in the trash he would go all in you would walk back into the house and it would be everywhere and so your immediate response would be oliver did you get in the trash and you know I, I had the voice that said i want to kill you but i never did but instead of him being humble what would he do he'd start to growl he's like i'm sorry mr man i know we've been friends for a long time but i got to willing to go to the death i'm a terrier i can't give in and so i couldn't really do anything with him you know you couldn't really train him not to he was just so set. But now we have a couple of, he's since passed on, and we have a couple of, we have a chihuahua mix, a nice, cute little dog, very submissive, and we have this other thing that looks like some kind of chihuahua went wrong slash badger slash forest creature with big, long paws and just, I think she's really beautiful now, but wow. I, I was afraid to show her to people who came over because they're like, what is that? Does Sandia National Labs know that you have that? <laughs> she has a problem with the trash. The young guy, the younger one, he, the, not younger, but the older, smaller one, he has a little bit of a problem with trash, but he's a pretty good boy. So she gets in the trash and what happens? Minxie! What are you doing? Did you get in the trash? And immediately, this is her and the other Chihuahua's response. Quick, get low. They're not able to throw the shoe at you with accuracy if you get low. And I've never beaten my dogs, but, I, but you would think like, oh my gosh, is he going to come at us with an ax? I don't know. Stay low. And if it gets really bad, if he starts walking up close, turn over on your back. It's the only way out. But they get low. And I'm like, okay, okay. Get up. Get out of the house and stay in the backyard for four days straight. But eventually it happens again. But they know to get low. Learning to stay low means it's time to push the reset button. If you've been messing with the world and the world's been messing with you and you keep getting in the trash can and God's like, what are you doing in the trash can again? It's time to get low because God resists the proud, but he gives grace, more grace to the humble. So here's how we do it. Look at verse seven. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, you COVID people, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. He starts off by saying, submit yourself to God. That means return to God. If you've been out of submission to God, that means that you've been doing your own thing. So to be in submission to God means to put yourself back under his power, under his control, under his leadership. You submit to him, return to him. And as you're doing so, you reject the world, okay, and its ways and its selfish desires. That's what it means to submit to God. 
And then he says, resist the devil and his temptations. That means that, you know, the devil wants to tempt us to do something wrong. He's know that he's always been the agent provocateur. He's been the pseudopatri, the father of lies. He is the one who wants mankind to fall. We see him tempting Job. That's his gig. That's his team's gig. That's their message. That's their marketing plan. But I know this. Even though I love the grocery store, it seems like such a safe place, but it's not. You go over to the cookie aisle where all of the, where all the bad stuff is and you hear that over your ear, just get one box. No, go ahead and get two. No, go ahead and get three. You say, well, that's a very simple, you know, example. I know it is. I'm trying to be light about this because I know how important it is. He says, you resist, and what eventually he will do is just leave you. Doesn't mean that he's not going to come back. You can guess again, he will be back. But resisting him is important. He has the power of influence, and that's about it over our lives. So resist. He will leave. Get low. Get close to God, and he'll get close to you. That's really important. Where's the safest place to be in the world? Next to God. But you have to humble yourself to do so. He's such a dynamic presence. But he says, move close to God and he will move close to you. You see, clean yourself up. Wash off this COVID of the world. How many times we've been told so much lately about the importance of washing your hands. Even the Bible says clean your hands. A clean hand and a pure heart. Lift it up to God. Even here, clean yourselves. Clean it up and set your, reset your heart and your mind to pleasing God. All right? He says stop being double-minded. Stop looking this way and that way, this way and that way. Recognize what the goal is. The goal is focusing upon God and focusing on what things, the things that are right. That's hitting the reset button. Putting our eyes and our minds on what's really important. Because life can be very distracting, can it? A lot of things to think about. A lot of things that you didn't know were important now all of a sudden seem to be so important. And we can be so scattered in our reference. But in order to go straight, in order to get from point A to point B, you have to focus on one point. Focus on the right things. Then he tells us to do something here that I think is very foreign to us in our culture. Okay? What does he say? Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter into mourning, your joy into gloom. So what's he talking about there? Ladies, you know a little bit about this. I've learned some, and I'm not trying to be too, I'm being a little general here, but Carly's taught me about this. I, when we first got married, you know, she cried a lot. And I just thought it was my breath, but I didn't, it, it was that and something else too. But anyway, she would tell me, she goes, no, it's no big deal. I just feel better if I can have a cry. That never made sense to me. I always felt terrible when I cried. But as you get older and a little softer, you realize that the tears come more quickly. 
And there's something about that. God's designed us to mourn. There's a benefit there. Because we're to grieve about our condition. If we haven't been close with the Lord, we're to grieve about that. That's something that's terrible. We're to grieve about the condition of the world and the state of the world. How many of you are happy about how divided our nation is right now? Woohoo! Love division. Feels so good. Man, get a division bumper sticker, 2020. It feels horrible. Normal people losing their mind, hating each other, saying every horrible thing. So destructive. You don't have to get just mad about it. You should grieve about it and weep before God. Because in doing so, it's, it's a good thing. It's a cathartic thing. We're meant to grieve over terrible things. Grieving also is a way that can truly help change your heart. Sometimes it doesn't just happen by saying, I'm going to change my heart. Sometimes it comes through mourning and grieving before God and let all that poison and that stuff come out and God replace it with something else. With that comes gratefulness and thankfulness for God and his mercy over you and I. That's what comes with that. To be grateful. You know you're getting on the right track when you're grateful for the little things, when you're thankful for the the tender things that God does for you, when you find that you don't need as much, but you're more satisfied with simplicity and with what he has. Now, what's what's the bottom line in all this? What happens? It says, when this takes place, He will lift you up. When you've gotten low, when you've gotten to the point where you're humbling yourself before God. You see, humbling yourself before God is so important. It's not being fake. It's recognizing that you are so powerful and amazing and it's so easy for me to be offensive and I don't deserve it. I mean, guys, you know, Some of you have married above your grade. And when people look at you, they're like, "Um, how did she get him, how did he get her to marry him? She's way out of his league. And uh, I know you were thinking that. Everybody else is thinking that too. And some of us, when we're with God, how did that person get in there? How does God put up with that person? Well, didn't deserve it. And we should never think that we deserve it. We should never feel like we deserve it. We never should expect it from God. We need to be humble up close. We need to be humble. And here's what happens. And when you do, he will lift you up. You don't have to lift yourself up. You don't have to put any false pride. You don't have to pretend. You get low and let him pick you up. You get low and let him pick you up, okay? And when he lifts you up, you will know that your life has been reset. On the right track, reset. 
on the right track. Why? I'm feeling grateful. Psh, I don't want a bunch of dumb stuff. Psh, I'm avoiding things that are enemies of God. I'm trying to learn to take that seriously. Psh, and what happens after that? When you hit that reset button, it's all one big hallelujah. Everybody say that with me on three. One, two, three, hallelujah. You're all charismatic now. I've been one for a long time. Now you are. Uh, hallelujah. Praise be to God that he shoots straight with us. We don't have to go down with the selfish baby syndrome. We can be lifted up by the true and living God. Well, today we have communion. I hope you have your little snack pack, travel pack ready. We'll take that together here in a minute. I'm going to pray for us. But as we sing a song, what I would like you to do is confess your sins to the Lord. Hit the reset button. Draw near to God. Make that commitment this morning and then take communion. So while we're singing, if you need to pray to the Lord and get things straight, get it straight. You're in church. It's the best place to do it. Okay? Lord, thank you for this really challenging message, so clear, so precise, and so, so totally applicable. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for the things that we've done that you told us not to. Lord, a disobedience. We bring them to you. We ask that you clean us up, restore us. And then, Lord, we ask for forgiveness for the things that you, you've told us to do and we didn't do. We should have gone. We should have acted. We should have spoke. We should have. We didn't. And we ask that we bring those to you, to your table, and ask that you would heal us and restore us. We do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and we'll sing? This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.